Listeners, how are you? What's going on? It's Amy. Real quick note before the episode begins. Um, we've been saying that my episode would be this week, my diagnosis story, and that Steph's would be next week, but we actually decided to swap those. So today you're going to hear Steph's diagnosis story. Um, the reason for that is too boring to even tell you. And also who cares? Uh, with that, may I present what I am referring to as the Steph episode. Welcome to Cancer for Breakfast with Amy and Steph. I'm Amy. And I'm Steph. Though we try to make Cancer for Breakfast safe and comfortable for everyone, it may not be suitable for all audiences and is intended for informational and educational purposes only. It is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. We're not doctors. We didn't even go to podcasting school. <laughs> hello, Amy. Oh, hello, Steph. <laughs> is this Cancer for Breakfast, the new podcast? It is. It is. We decided not to call it oh my God, why me? So we did call it cancer for breakfast. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, Uh, why me is going to be the title of our book. Yeah, that's true. I was thinking it would be funny if we called it um, ACAB, which is all cancers (laughs) are bastards. And then like suddenly we had this like really strong like far left following that was yeah, like getting all like this it. cancer knowledge haha <laughs> 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 tricked ya <laughs> <laughs> um yeah our um oh my god why me can be like the answer to all of the uplifting cancer books out there <laughs> it probably already exists honestly i'm sure it does my aversion to google um carries over to that kind of stuff so yeah that's wise um so welcome it's a new episode i just got back from physical therapy with my girl tracy was it therapeutic (laughs) um it was good that i went because you know i'm now like a year out from my surgery and my i had uh two surgeries on my breast and it just takes a long time to yeah. fully heal and like there's scar tissue. Um, like listen, you guys, it looks okay. So if you need to know that, just know that it looks great. Um, <laughs> but there's, there's scar tissue and it sucks and it sort of like causes pain into my rib too from just like the tightness mm-hmm. of things. And so, um, it was good to see her because I've skipped the last few appointments because there's like, covid stuff and i'm like i'm just picking and choosing what appointments are worth yeah being in a situation yeah you know yeah that's good there was a an outbreak at the hospital where i had my bone biopsy and i was i was kind of terrified yeah <laughs> to to go um, totally. But my oncologist was like, no, it's totally like, you know how Chipotle was the safest place in the world to eat after they had an E. coli outbreak? No, Harborview is great now. Mm, that's so cool. It's so um, true. Yeah. So 
What's up with you, though, today, Steph? Um, I feel kind of like garbage today. Side um, effects or Yeah, life? yeah, yeah. Side effects. I've been sleeping really poorly. And they warned me this, that like the first six weeks were going to be the worst and that it would like ramp up. So I feel really lucky that I started at basically nothing, no side effects. And now mm-hmm. it's still not unbearable, but, um, you know, it's not fun. So you're just sleeping like crap. Yeah, I'm sleeping like crap and I'm having, you know, like all of the GI stuff that they warned me about. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've got my tea. I've got my my water. I'm trying to eat things that are not too hard on my digestive tract. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's better than the alternative, which is what? I don't know. Not taking medication for cancer. Not knowing you have cancer and oh yeah around for another few years without yeah. knowing. Yeah. Speaking of which. Yes. <laughs> would you like to hear all about the time I got diagnosed with cancer? <laughs> That's exactly what I'd like to hear about. That's what we're dedicating this whole episode to. The whole shebang of Steph, who is a newcomer to mm-hmm. this hellhole. It's true. I uh, It's weird, though, because it feels like it's been so long. So which just long. goes to show you that the learning curve uh, is is very... It seems like it's going to be bad, but it's not that bad. You get like an info dump yeah. frequently. And now I feel like I've got this. I feel like an old timer, <laughs> even though it's only been three months. So, yeah. Uh, anywho... Um, content note, because we will be talking about some intense diagnosis stuff. And if, um, you try to avoid like stage four talk, which is completely valid, um, then you probably want to skip this. Yeah. And if you are like currently in the diagnosis process and you don't know what's going on with your body yet, and you're full of so much fear and you're Googling podcasts and found us. Maybe don't listen to this episode because it's just, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although it's not I, helpful to put your brain in all these what ifs, what ifs, what ifs. Yeah. I will say, though, that um, I have had, uh, I, I'm i not going to say anything like too, too terrible. My experience so far has been pretty good. So it's great. Hang in if you want to. If you want to tap out, see you later. Um like Amy, my my situation started with a lump or like a weird thickening in my breast. Um, so I did feel changes like you did. You you felt yours. Mm-hmm. Um, but it didn't feel like your what I would have assumed was a traditional lump feeling. It just felt sort of like the skin on the side of my breast was a little bit thicker um, than it had been. Mm-hmm. And I noticed it and I got right into the doctor. I This is uncharacteristic because I usually wait for things. Because I've got three kids and, you know, like they are always having appointments. So I'll just, you know, like put my own off until mm-hmm. things have calmed down. But it was the summer and um, I decided to just call and get right in. And my doctor was really great. She's been my doctor um, and my entire family's doctor since I was pregnant with my oldest child. And he is almost 11. So 
um, she knows our family really well. And she felt my breast and was like, yeah, you know, I kind of feel something, but, um, you know, you're so young and it's probably a cyst and you breastfed for 10 years. And it's, uh, you know, I'm sure we're going to learn that it's a cyst, but I do want you to get a mammogram. And so she sent me for a mammogram and I had to wait about a week. And I just knew it mm. was not good news. Um, How I, did you know? I I just felt intuitively that it was mm. it was not good. Um, and we had planned on going on a little trip because my um, my youngest daughter's birthday is in the beginning of August, and um, we had all been at home with each other. We, we were, have been the entire time really diligent about social distancing and stuff. And so my kids hadn't really seen anybody, um, in months and months and all of their birthdays were pretty crappy. And so we were like, okay, well, we'll get out of town for a little bit. My mom has an RV so we could safely go someplace and kind of stay contained. And so we did that. And I had my mammogram about a week uh, after we got home from that and I went in to the place and he, you know, you, Amy described it, uh, like as such a, a calming space. And that was my experience also. It was, it was lovely. It was like a spa in there and everybody yeah. was so nice. And, um, obviously it's because they want you to come get these tests done. They want to make it into a nice experience for you. And so, uh, I had my mammogram and then I had an ultrasound scheduled for immediately after it. And um, the mammogram technician uh, kept going back for more pictures. And I was like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yep. Knew this was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And then I went in for the ultrasound and the uh, radiologist that did my ultrasound was like taking more and more pictures also. And Uh, was having me move around a little bit. And so she said, just wait here after she was done. And then the, another radiologist came in with the nurse and gave me the whole spiel, the whole, like, in my professional opinion, it looks like it's breast cancer. And I was like 0% surprised. I was, Mm. I was so totally sure that was what it was going to be. And, um, he was like a little awkward about it, which no, no, (laughs) I'm sure it's a very awkward job to have, but he like wouldn't look at me and he just kept spinning his wedding ring on his finger. And I felt, I felt really bad for him because I was like, dude, am I your first or something? Like (laughs) it's not that bad. (laughs) So. I don't know. It just hadn't really occurred to me what, you know, what was going on yet. And so I did ask him like, okay, so odds are like, can you give me some percentages? Like it's 50, 50 that it's cancer. Mm -hmm. What is it? And he was like, I'm going to say 95. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like, oh shit. (laughs) That is the, that's the percentage you give somebody when you legally cannot say 100%. (laughs) Mm-hmm. So, um, it's so true. Yeah. They had me come back in. They, they wanted me to do the ultrasound guided biopsy and they wanted to do it on my lymph node in my armpit and on my breast too, on, on the tumor. So, 
Um, I scheduled that and they, uh, they got me in about a week later, which they told me was standard amount of time to wait, but it was like the worst week of my life. Yeah. And they had told you they were biopsying your lymph node because they suspected there was lymph node involvement. Like they didn't act like that was just routine. No, they didn't act like it was routine, but the radiologist did say that, um, one looked borderline suspicious. Mm -hmm. And so he was like, well, since we're going to be in there anyway, I'm just going to say that we should biopsy the node also. And I don't know if that's standard, you know, I, I don't think it is if, you know, your tumor is small and your lymph nodes look Mm. not at all suspicious, but anyway, I didn't have a, I didn't have a node biopsy and and they suspected that I didn't have it in my nodes and I didn't, but yeah. Yeah. Um, and so that week sucked and, um, I immediately was, nobody had told me yet, don't Google anything. So I was, (laughs) Steph hadn't met Amy yet. It's true. (laughs) I was Googling like a mad woman. Um, and I got my radiology report from my regular doctor's office. I had her email it to me and just kind of poured over it. And my BIRADS score, which is like the score they give you of suspicion, you know, so like zero BIRADS, I think was to- is totally inconclusive, but one is like totally fine, not suspicious. And five, I think was, is like, we know for sure it's cancer because like you've already had a biopsy done and we, we know it's there. So I had, I had the highest that you could be without, uh, them having previously con- confirmed that it was cancer. And so I was like, ah, mm-hmm. shit. Okay. So we're that 5% is kind of a joke. It's cancer. And, um, I came in a week later and I was waiting in the room where they were going to do the biopsy and in walked this woman that I know I live in a really small town and I'm Jewish And there are like three other Jewish people in the entire town. And we all know each other, of course. And uh, it was this woman that I know. Our kids went to preschool together. And um, she was the radiologist that was going to do my biopsy. Wow. Which uh, was pretty awkward um, because, you know, she's like rooting around in my boob. And she is a very intelligent person and very capable and very good at her job. But I would have really rather not known the person mm, who was doing yeah, that. Totally. I understand that. So she, she finished up and had taken the biopsy from both sites. And I asked her, like, can you just tell me straight up, like, what does the node look like? Does it look bad? And she was like, uh, there are a few that I think are pretty iffy. And I was like, ah, God, the other guy said it was just one. Mm. And she was like, mm, yeah, sorry, I don't really know. Anyway, <laughs> take care. So they gave me the the card for the um, patient navigator there at the local cancer center, which is right by my house. So that, that I was thinking was going to be really convenient. And I called her. She got me appointments set up with the oncologist and the social worker, um, which is so great. 
I don't know how long they've been doing uh, regular appointments for every new person with a cancer diagnosis with a social worker, but I think that's really valuable whether you say you need it or not. I feel like everybody has some reason that they can stand to see a social worker, whether it's Mm -hmm. because you need help uh, with filling out forms for your job or because your partner needs help filling out forms for their job or because you need financial assistance or you need um, to be put in touch with a therapist or whatever. Um, I'm, I love that new development. Um, So I went and saw this oncologist and um, he was Like, oh, okay. So, um, looks to me like your tumor in your breast is between two and five centimeters, which is big, you know? And I was just like, oh my God, how is this possible that I was walking around with a five centimeter tumor in my breast? And he said, like, I think it's minimal lymph node involvement. So, um, it's looking, you know, very, very treatable, um, we have great statistics for this stage of cancer. He said, like, I'm going to guess you're about a stage two. And he hadn't gotten the biopsy results back or he hadn't. This is how he was interpreting them. He had the biopsy results back and he had all of, I had gotten, um, you know, the mammogram and the first ultrasound. And then when I had the ultrasound guided biopsy, they took those pictures too. So, um, I found out at that appointment that I was HR positive, so um, estrogen and progesterone positive. Um, ER positive, you mean? Oh, yes. Yes. Sorry. And you are HR negative. I am HR negative. Her too. Her too negative. Yes. Oh, my God. We don't even know what we're talking about. Turn it off, you guys. (laughs) ER positive, her too negative. Yes. ER positive, her too negative. Mm -hmm. And... um, so, and there was one other component. Did you find out about the lobular then? I did. Yeah. So, um, he, he did tell me that what the kind of cancer that I have is invasive lobular carcinoma. And that's a little bit different than the most common type, which is the ductal carcinoma, mm-hmm. which is what I have. Yeah. And it's just a matter of like where the milk is made versus where the milk comes out or I don't know. Anyway, they don't treat them any differently. Um, it's, you know, pretty much the same type of deal. It's just one is much more common than the other. And so I did find out that my tumor was a grade one, which is really slow growing. So that was good news to me. And he said that um, th- at this particular hospital, there was a really great surgeon and he is working on using like robotic surgical assistance um, in his surgeries. And it all sounded really great. So I left that feeling actually kind of confident. You know, I was like, okay, everything he told me sounds like I can do it. You know, I felt um, that he was really confident and really optimistic. And I had talked to the social worker and that social worker was going to help us with, um, you know, getting my partner family medical leave paperwork done so that he would be able to take off, you know, just one day to take me to my appointments and everything was looking really good. But I only live about an hour away from Seattle and we have this world-class cancer facility in Seattle called Seattle Cancer Care Alliance. 
And I was like, you know, I feel like I should just go there just in case Mm -hmm. because my insurance would cover it. Why not get a second opinion? See what it's like there. Yes. When the patient navigator from my local place called me to ask, you know, how my appointment was and when she could schedule me with the surgeon and stuff, I told her that I wanted to hold off just a bit because... I was going to go get a second opinion in Seattle. Just, you know, I said I have full confidence in this, in the doctor Mm -hmm. that I saw here, but, you know, I just feel like it's the thing to do. Like, I'm just going to go see how they do it down there. And they have that said to them so much. Nobody takes offense. And if anything, they. Nobody should take offense, at least. (laughs) Well, the, my nurse navigator actually encouraged me to get second opinions and said that insurance often prefers that you actually get a second opinion and they're happy to pay for it because they're going to pay less in the long run if you're getting accurate medical advice exactly and a plan so that's right so do it do it and also it's just nice to sit down and have somebody tell you for like an hour more about whatever's going on even if it is the exact same thing and it gives you confidence in yeah in whatever but just to be able to talk to a professional and yeah right right and i can't imagine you know i'm not a doctor but i have worked collaboratively with other people many times in my life. And there's no situation in which I would say, you know, another person of equal authority to me doesn't deserve to have a say in this situation. You know, like it's good to have more heads in the game. So anyway, I was like, I think I'm just going to go to Seattle, get an opinion there. And she was like, "Mm, yeah, you don't really need to do that because people do that a lot. And then they just end up coming back here. And I just really think it's unnecessary. Well, see you then. Actually, see you never, lady. Yeah. Uh, So I was that really set off alarm bells. And I have. Yeah, that's so weird to say. I have worked in healthcare. I'm not a doctor or a nurse. I was like a receptionist and worked, you know, in medical records and stuff. But I do know enough to know that <laughs> when somebody tries to discourage you from going to another provider, mm-hmm. things are suspicious. Yes. And, you know, I get patient retention is really important when you're so close to a big facility. But I was kind of like, mm, later days, lady. I. Yeah. I made my appointment with Seattle and they actually um, didn't have an opening for almost a month. And that was another excruciating wait because I just wanted to get the show on the road. I wanted so badly to start treatment. And um, I thought that I had it all mapped out for me. Um, The doctor that I had seen, that first oncologist had really been clear about where, you know, we're going to do surgery chemo, radiation. Um, It's all very standard. Uh, And so that's what I was expecting. I was expecting to hear that when I went to Seattle. And I waited and waited. And I went to Seattle. And the way that they do things there is um, pretty different. They have this special clinic that you go to when you're first diagnosed. And the first appointment you have is with all three of your providers. It's with your medical oncologist, your radiation oncologist, and your breast surgeon. And the surgeons there are specialty surgeons. Mm -hmm. And that was really important to me. Um, I'm sure 
general surgeons are lovely, wonderful professionals, but um, I really wanted a breast surgeon. Yeah. And so that appointment was really amazing to just have all of those really, really impressive doctors sitting in the room with me, um, giving me their full attention. It was really special and made me feel like I was important and that they were invested in my case. And I was feeling really good until the medical oncologist was like, so have you gotten your, um, your PET scan results yet? And, or bone scan, I'm sorry. It was a bone scan. It wasn't a PET scan yet. And I had gotten a bone scan um, and an MRI on the morning of my 40th birthday, (laughs) the week before. And I hadn't gotten the results yet because I just assumed they weren't in because I thought somebody would call me with them. And I also wasn't worried because I thought they were just going to confirm what I had been told by the first oncologist. Mm-hmm. And so I said, no, I haven't heard back. I didn't know that they were in. And she was like, okay, so I see that they told you um, your tumor was between two and five centimeters and that you had minimal lymph node involvement. Uh, and I said, yeah, yep, that's what they said. And she was like, okay, well, um, what I see and what we have all discussed with uh, ourselves and our radiologists is that you actually have about 16 centimeters of tumor in your breast. There's pretty extensive lymph node involvement. And I'm seeing some lesions that are really suspicious on your spine and on two of your ribs. And I was just like, what the fuck? Oh my God, yeah. That was, I cannot describe how shocking that was to hear mm-hmm. and how difficult um, that discrepancy made it for me to trust those doctors. Mm. I was just like, okay, so, you know, what am I like, pick up a casket on the way home? Is that the, <sighs> is that what we're talking about here? Like, uh, you guys are making this sound really, really bad. <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, so I was like, okay, so this is like stage four, right? You know, that's what we're talking about. And they were like, well, we want more scans. We need to be sure that those lesions on your bones are actually cancer because they could be something else. Mm-hmm. And there's really no way for them to figure it out on your ribs because you breathe and they can't do a biopsy while in, on moving parts. Mm-hmm. So they were like, we're, we're going to set that aside for now. But we want a bone biopsy because we want to see what's what for sure. Because we don't want to diagnose you with metastatic breast cancer and then be wrong, you know, to have it just be normal degeneration or whatever. Or do we? Let's let's do it that way. Yeah, right? <laughs> How do we make that happen? How much does it cost? Where do I sign? Yeah. Um, so at that point, you know, we were still talking about doing surgery potentially, and the way that they did it was they all three talked to me. They all three did did an exam. 
And that was really an amazing experience because you could hear them, you know, talking to each other as professionals. They were sort of tossing ideas around about what each of them saw and they weren't in complete agreement, which was awesome to see. You know, one said, I'm seeing maybe some inflammatory breast cancer aspects and Another one said, well, you know, yeah, that could, though, just be some fluid buildup from the lymph node involvement. Like, let's not go down that road yet, you know. And the other one was like, yeah, you know, yeah, that sounds like it could be. I can see that. And they were talking to me a lot. They were these three just like really amazing, high-powered professional women. And that was really important to me, too. I'm sure there are a ton of great male breast cancer specialists, but I don't want to see them. Mm-hmm. So they all saw me and then they sent me and my partner, Nathan, to lunch while they got together and talked. And then uh, we were supposed to kind of reconvene and they would each one by one come in and talk to me about what their recommendations were. So uh, we went to have a quote unquote lunch. I like tried to eat a couple of potato chips and yeah. was just like, fuck this. This is the worst. Yeah. <laughs> worst day of my life. I'm not eating lunch. And just kind of cried the entire time and came back. I really thought, like I one hundred percent thought this is a like dead within the year type scenario. Mm-hmm. And I had no, I have no family history of breast cancer. I have no uh, close friends who have had breast cancer. My only experience with cancer is people who get it and then just like they're diagnosed in crisis, like they're having Mm. some sort of unbelievable pain or something. And then they steadily just decline pretty quickly Mm. and then they die. And so I was like, okay, that's what's happening here. And like, what am I going to tell my kids? Like, what am I going to tell my best friends and stuff? And uh, so it's, I mean, it was, it was horrible. It was the the worst. Then I, I came back to see the doctors and the way that they did it was really interesting. Um, and I don't know if they set it up this way on purpose, but the medical oncologist was the first one that I talked to. And, um, she, feels like such a gift in my life. And I knew this from the second she opened her mouth the first time because she's my age. Um, She's, you know, just probably just about 40. I don't know exactly how old she is, but she's got kids that are the same age as my kids. She talks like I talk, you know, like she's, Mm -hmm. she is, um, she feels like a peer in many ways. She's very, very serious and very like, okay, I'm going to draw you a diagram about what's happening in your body. So she gets out like graph paper and she literally like draws a picture of my boob and is like, okay, here's where we're talking about the tumor is and your tumor because it's lobular carcinoma doesn't grow in a spiral shape the way that ductal carcinoma grows. And so you did not feel a lump, but instead it grows in this kind of star shape. And the tendrils that come out from the center are what makes it such a large tumor. So it's not just a solid mass, you know, don't blame yourself. But she said, you could have been walking around with this cancer for 10 years. We have no idea. Mm -hmm. And so she was like, the good thing is we know a lot about hormone receptor positive breast cancer. And there are some really amazing treatments for it. More good news is that I'm not recommending chemotherapy for you right now. 
you know, like we're going to do this. Like you're a young woman. I want you to have a lot of life left in front of you. You've got young kids. Like we need you. We got this, you know, we're going to do our best. So the radiation oncologist was next and she was very sort of sedate and really, really super professional. Her name is Dr. Fang. And she was like, so with radiation, if these are lesions in your spine, um, I'm going to say that we could probably clear them up with the radiation. um, And then, you know, you would be in remission. And I'm really confident in that. And I, and so she explained to me that with radiation therapy, you get it every day for a number of weeks, except for the weekends. And I was like, oh man, okay. So driving to Seattle every day for that is going to be really hard for me and hard for my family. Um, I have this cancer center that's like literally two blocks away from my house. Um, would I be able to go there for that? And Nathan, my partner was like, you know, or do you have some kind of like magic laser beam? You know, that's only here in Seattle. And she kind of chuckled and was like, no, not not exactly. No, but um, we do have some uh, methods of treatment that are only available. And, you know, I want you to think of radiation therapy as more like a surgery. So it does depend on the skill of the doctor. And um, we want to be as targeted as possible and really precise. And so I was like, all right, I'm sold lady, you know, like I'll come down to Seattle if that's what I need to do. And so then the surgeon talked to me and she was like, you know, I'm going to recommend a mastectomy. And I said, can I have a double mastectomy? I just like want this cancer off of me. Mm-hmm. If there was a drive up mastectomy shop, I would have been there two weeks ago. I just like mm-hmm. want these boobs off my body. She was like, yeah, you know, if you want a double, you can. Sure. Like, whatever you want, your body. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I was like, so do do you think insurance will cover that? And she was like, oh, I'm sure if, you know, if you want to have both of them taken off, your disease has progressed enough. Sure. She was like, yeah, I've been doing this for a long time. It's like, no problem. It's a double mastectomy. (laughs) And she was really casual and cool about it. And I was like, okay, I'm starting to feel a little bit better. So they had me scheduled for uh, the bone biopsy and some other imaging because they were like, uh, not to be mean, but we need a different imaging report than you got from these people that said there was (laughs) no cancer in your body and a two to five Mm. centimeter tumor. So um, I ended up having some more scans. I had a PET scan and I had an MRI and I had, I think I had a CT scan. I had like the whole schmear. Then my, so my oncologist ended up calling me at home and she, it was late at night and she was like, I hope it's okay to call you. I just wanted you to know that I got your bone scan results and, um, it does look like it is cancer in your spine. She cried. She started crying. Hmm. And she was like, you know, we're both in really similar places in our lives and your case is just really hard for me. Mm. Um, I was just like, okay, like this lady is totally invested, you know, like she cares enough to call me at, you know, 830 at night and cry about the cancer in my spine. And that weirdly made me feel a lot better. 
Mm-hmm. And so she was like, so, so um, you get to keep your breast. And I was like, dude, <laughs> you ruined it, though. I don't mm-hmm. want it anymore. <laughs> you guys, <laughs> you guys spoiled it. But she was like, you know, I'm not going to recommend surgery for you at this point because I don't want you to start treatment at a deficit. And surgery is really hard on your body. And like I said, I'm not going to recommend chemotherapy for you at this point because we don't need it yet. And um, she had presented my case to the tumor board there, and she said that everybody agreed I was a great candidate for an aromatase inhibitor and other targeted hormone therapies. And so that consists of pills and one shot. And so it's not the kind of, you know, infusion that people think of when they're thinking of cancer patients. They, It's not, you know, you get a port in your chest and you get stuff pumped into your veins every three weeks, like you had Amy, or every two weeks or whatever. I take a shot every month or so to stop my ovaries working. And so she was like, you're going to be in chemical menopause. And, you know, there are side effects that go along with that. And then we're going to put you on an aromatase inhibitor, and that's going to shut down the production of of estrogen in the rest of your body. And then we're going to give you a medication that's going to attack the cancer. That's a targeted therapy. And she was like, you know, people do well on this for years. You know, some people are on this kind of medication for a decade or more. Mm -hmm. And she was like, I just want you to have as much time as we can get you. Mm After she told me what her recommendations were, it was just like, it wasn't immediate, but it was like the fog was starting to clear. And I was like, okay, the beginning sucked massively. Mm-hmm. I was expecting a very different path, but these people give a shit, you know, like yeah. they are good at their jobs. They care about me. And so it was not immediately that I began to feel a whole lot better, but I did, you know, at that point, I was like, okay, I think I can do this. You know, like I was so focused on preparing for the regular like slash and burn type of cancer treatment where they just, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of cut, cut it out, cut it off and then try to get rid of every single piece of it. And that's really hard on your body, as you know. Yeah. You just picture that you're going to be like staying in the hospital for weeks on end in your own room where they're going to be bringing uh, IV bags of chemo to you and you're not able to stand up on your own. Yeah. You're just like sad cancer lady with an ugly headscarf. And yeah. And, um, you know, like in a pandemic. So nobody's going to be able to come visit me. And Mm -hmm. uh, then that's like, if I even make it out of the, (laughs) you know, it was just like Mm -hmm. all that stuff that I was envisioning, uh, I realized was not the case. It wasn't going to be that way. I just really love having a plan. I'm not, I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm sure that's true of everybody who has cancer, but like, I, I wanted the plan. That's all I wanted. And once I had the plan, it was like, okay, then, you know, like, tell me where to be. I'll show up and we'll do it. Mm -hmm. I thought for a little while, like, maybe they just, maybe it's worse than they're telling me because this treatment doesn't feel very aggressive. It doesn't feel like they're really trying to get rid of the cancer. And so another thing that I love about 
Seattle Cancer Care Alliance is the social worker that I saw there was like, if you ever have any questions, you know, you can talk to me about it. I encourage you to talk to your doctor, but if there's something that you feel weird about, you know, you can totally go through me. And so I called her and I was like, you know, I'm feeling kind of weird, like put, put maybe like brush to the side a little bit with this treatment. Like, why don't they want to give me surgery? Why? Like I'm 40, I'm healthy. Why can't, you know, why can't they try to cure it? And so she was like, yeah, that's super valid. And then, um, the next day my oncologist called and was like, I don't want to put you on the spot, but like, (laughs) I heard that you were feeling like maybe we weren't being aggressive enough. And I want you to know that we have all of the aggressive shit lined up. She didn't say shit, Mm -hmm. but she was like, I have all of the aggressive stuff lined up for later. We have big guns. Mm -hmm. We are just saving them for when you need them. I'm not, you know, she was like, you're, I'm all in for this. Like, we're going to do the best we can for you. Please feel free to keep talking to the social worker, but also you can always ask me, like, are you putting me to the side or is this, you know, Mm -hmm. so that was really great. And then overall, just being in a place that's so well organized, they've got their own app, which is just like, I don't know, after you've been like a broke punk kid uh, and you've had to go to the free clinic and stuff, a place that mm-hmm. is like, hi, would you like any snacks? Here's our app. Yeah. Download it for free and just push a button and you can be put right through to your own personal nurse. Yeah. <laughs> um, is wild. It's really wild. And so it does. It makes me feel really buoyed by by everybody there and how great it is. And so I did end up, um, I like ghosted on that first oncologist. And I told my doctor in Seattle, like, can you please just like, whatever needs to happen to make it so I never have to speak to them again? Can you please do that for me? And she was like, mm-hmm, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so, um, do you know if anybody told them the true diagnosis so that they can learn from that experience? I uh, do know that my notes from Seattle were sent to them. Um, they did try to call me a couple of times and I didn't even want to listen to the voicemail messages that they yeah. sent because I just like, it's not their fault. You know, like I get it now and I'm not going to go around telling the world like, don't go to this doctor by name, but, <laughs> but mm-hmm. I feel like I'm reserving the right to be really, really mad at them forever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, so the funny thing was after I got home from that appointment where, um, I saw all three of the physicians at the same time. And we were joking about the special laser beam for radiation therapy, which was being put on hold, but they did let me know that was going to be available to me later if I needed it. Um, Nathan and I Googled Dr. Fang, Mm -hmm. the radiation oncologist, and we're like, huh, you know, like don't know anything about her. The other two had told us, you know, quite a bit about them personally and their stories and stuff and like where they had come up, like where they went to college and Dr. Fang had not done that. So I was curious. And the first thing that popped up was an article about her pioneering this special kind of proton radiation therapy. And it's only available at the (laughs) hospital where she practices. And I was like, Oh my God, I love it. that um, sort of humility 
compared to the like, mm-hmm. oh no, you don't need to go anywhere else. Like were that the I think dichotomy of those two experiences really told me that I was in the right place. And um it's amazing what they can do these days. You know, like I have since mm-hmm. I was diagnosed and re-diagnosed with the right thing. Um I've talked to a lot of metastatic people and it's true that people do have this line of treatment for years on end. And my oncologist has been so great in telling me like, don't you dare Google statistics. Don't look at survival rates because the medications that you're on have not been around for 10 years, you know, and that's the big one. That's the the 10-year survival rate is what you look up. And she was like, don't do it because breast cancer treatment and research is progressing at an unbelievably fast rate. And um, she always reminds me that I am in such a good position for getting treatment. And I'm starting out at the best possible point, really. I mean, like I'm a younger person, which fucking sucks to have breast cancer when you're 40. Mm -hmm. Um, But that means I don't have other health problems. I'm not on my third or fourth recurrence like some people are when they find out that they have metastatic disease. Um, I don't have underlying health problems. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I do. I feel really confident and it's a weird thing to say, but I don't, I am, I'm not super bummed about it. Mm -hmm. It's obviously like the shittiest thing, but that diagnosis I think has been a gift in some really weird ways. Like People don't confront their own mortality, mm-hmm. and um, that's fine. Confronting your mortality blows. <laughs> it's not like something I recommend being forced on you. Yeah. But the truth is that we don't ever know how long we're going to live. Right. The funniest thing that people tell me that I think they mean to be like supportive is when they're like yeah I mean you could get hit by a bus tomorrow (laughs) yeah I'm like well true but um but that really is true you know like it's it's not um there are no guarantees and I do feel like I've been really lucky in not having any serious illnesses up until now and while that's why it was so shocking when it happened to me. It's also really fucking lucky. Like Mm -hmm. I haven't confronted cancer really in a personal way before this. And a lot of people can't say that, you know, a lot of people who have it in their families really strongly um, that I've talked to are like literally every woman in my family has had breast cancer. Mm. And that is bonkers to me that, that, that seems so much harder having to go through it after you've seen mm-hmm. four or five, six other people go through it. So yeah, I'm doing okay. You know, like metast- I'm here to say metastatic breast cancer sucks, but it's also like not what you expect. It's not what you expect it's going to be. Even the fact that you're not getting breast surgery, like I feel like when you found out that was the case and we were texting a lot, and that was something hard for both of us to wrap our heads yeah. around. Yes. And I'm sure for listeners who are, maybe are hung up on that, and maybe we should talk about it just a little bit more because it's not 
that they say, oh, it doesn't help or, oh, she's a lost right, cause. We right, might right. as well. You know, it's it's that they are finding that that what the medications you are taking are slowing the growth of any of those cells so much that it wouldn't make sense to give you a double mastectomy and have you totally out of commission right. when you can't be taking these medications while you're recovering for that yeah. for X amount of months and then to come back and then do it. And then the idea is for years, you could go doing really well before yeah. any of these scans say, oh, it's actually growing a bit in her spine. Maybe we should do radiation or maybe we should what I mean, you said there were like 12 lines of. Yeah, yeah, that's treatments lined up. Like if this one doesn't work for after yes. two years or four years, then next. Yeah. And that's, you know? that was what my oncologist said in that phone call where she told me that the lesions on my spine were legit. She was like, you know, um, the average amount of time that people are on this combination of meds that I'm taking now, the Verzenio and um, Lupron and Letrozole, she said the average amount of time that it works before you have to try something else is 25 months. And she said, you know, remember that's average people with metastatic breast mm -hmm. cancer are often like recurrence cases. So that, mm -hmm. you know, she's always reminding me like you're in a good spot. Um, but she said today, today, this moment in time, we have 12, 13, 14, you know, other treatments that we can try in procession. Like it's not, they're all the same. And if one doesn't work, there goes a whole category. It's like, there are tons mm -hmm. and tons of therapies that we can try and some of them will probably not work and some of them will, but you know, that buying you time is, is important. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's not all fun or anything, but I'm trying to look at it more as a chronic illness. Yeah. And even when I've had this like horrible diarrhea, which I knew was going to be a side effect, I think about like my friends that have Crohn's disease and stuff. And I'm like, right. fuck, these people have been living with this exact symptom for their entire lives. Mm -hmm. I can't really bitch about it too much. Yeah. Well, it's, you, you can. I can. I can. <laughs> it's fine because it, it is annoying. It but still, you know, you know what I mean. Could be worse. Um, oh, I do. But yeah, the no surgery thing is wild because... I'm sure people are like, um, are you sure about that? <laughs> like it's, it makes sense to me though. If it's not, if, if the cells were going to go migrate and do all this other stuff at, at rapid speed, of course you want to get them out of there, but you're doing all this other stuff to combat that. So yeah. it does make sense, but it also is unsettling to just still have that in you and right. be aware of it. And yeah. Um, and I do. I want to say not like not like I haven't said a bunch of like horrible things already, but I do specifically want to issue a content note for the thing I'm about to say. But my oncologist says she does not ever use the word cure with any of her patients, even if they are mm -hmm. stage one, grade one. Mm -hmm. She said when you have a disease that has an overall recurrence rate of 30 percent, we know that a good percentage of those people are not actually cured. Mm -hmm. And what she said to me is that all breast cancer is treatable and that is what we are doing. Mm -hmm. And that to me is really powerful because she was like, you know what? Uh, there are all kinds of studies on curative hope, quote unquote. That's the term, I guess, that they use. And she was like, they, it doesn't help. It doesn't help you in the long run to believe that you're cured. Yeah. That really resonated with me. I'm a person who really likes just like the plain truth. Mm hmm. 
And I think if my doctor had been like, yeah, girl, we're going to kick breast cancer's ass or whatever, you know, I would have been like, "Mm, Mm -hmm. you seem over enthusiastic. I'm suspicious. Yeah, it's weird. People get really uncomfortable with the whole cure thing and just stage four in general. And in one of my Facebook groups, which is just for younger women, women that were diagnosed under 40, it Mm -hmm. it isn't stage specific or anything. But a woman posted in there saying, I've just been diagnosed with stage four. And, you know, I'm wondering if anybody else is, you know, newer knows she wanted some specific something. Yeah. And this is in our breast cancer group. So we all have breast cancer, different stages, but we all know enough about breast cancer. And Somebody posted and said, you know, my friend, don't, first of all, say anything with my yeah, friend. Yeah, never, never start with my friend. Um, but she said, my friend, you know, there's hope for you, even stage four. My friend was diagnosed with stage four um, Hodgkin's lymphoma, and she's now doing wonderfully years later. And I read this and I was like, I mean, it would be one thing if it was on like your personal Facebook post and your aunt Susan said it or your old roommate from, you know, like they're just trying to help and they don't get it. But I was like, this is a breast cancer group. So I commented and I gave her some resources that I knew of some, some, some Facebook group. Were you like, my friend Stephanie is a real downer. (laughs) She will give it to you straight. (laughs) No, but I did ask you for some of the groups for for younger women and and i shared those with her yeah and then i said and lacy and i tagged her her name wasn't really lacy but i said lacy i know you're just trying to be helpful and i know like we all are but these are two very different cancers and like stage four hodgkin's lymphoma is very different than yeah stage four breast cancer it's Seriously. just like it's not helpful and she just replied and was like i know i'm sorry you know but it's like <laughs> oh my bad you know everybody just wants to be like it's okay it's okay it's okay yeah and i get it i get that impulse and it's so funny how even cancer people have that impulse yeah i'm sure i will do it to somebody but there's a difference between being like, I know somebody who only ate turmeric and now they're in remission and mm-hmm. it was 24 years ago. And mm-hmm. like that and being like, hey, guess what? There are a lot of awesome treatments. Mm-hmm. People are living a longer time than they used to. And you can do it. I mm-hmm. can do it. And then we'll die of something eventually. <laughs> like, I, yeah, I don't know. I I'm not like this all the time with everybody because. It's a hard conversation to have with people who are a little bit more tender about it. Obviously, I'm not talking to my kids like this. But yeah, like it does nobody any good to give that weird false Mm -hmm. curative hope. Um, But it is great to understand that people, in fact, do go into remission having metastatic disease. For long periods of time. Yeah. And for longer and longer. Yeah. So uh, hang in there, metastatic folks. Mm -hmm. Of all ilks, I know um, one of my friends, his sister has stage four colon cancer and she has just been like advocating like a motherfucker for herself. And that's really inspiring too. Like she's just not ready to give Mm -hmm. up yet. Um, And if you are ready to give up, that's fine too. Like there's a woman in one of my metastatic groups who was like, I was done. I hated treatment. I had every side effect in the book. And so I moved to Hawaii 
uh, when I was finally like no evidence of disease and I just planned to like stop treatment and live out my days in luxury on a beautiful tropical island. And she was like, and that was nine years ago. And I am out of money. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't been getting treatment and now I just won't die. Is she still no evidence of disease? She hasn't been getting any treatment, so she doesn't know. So she she, hasn't even, like, gone to get scans or anything, but she's like, here I am. Yeah, she's just, like, hanging in there. So I don't know. That's so good. That's amazing. Bodies are are wacky things, and what doesn't work for some people will work for others, Mm -hmm. obviously. It's, like, true of everything. But anywho. Well, I... That's my deal. That is your deal. And you are doing so well. I mean, this really did come out of nowhere a few months ago. And now it is like a pretty central part of your daily thought process, I'm sure. It is. And, you know, I, um, I thought just the other day about when I was in the process of getting diagnosed, I think it was in the middle of that waiting week where I knew it was cancer, but I didn't know how bad it was or anything. And I remember waking up in the morning and being like, fuck, like for the rest of my life, I am going to wake up every single morning and think I have cancer. That's going to be the first thing I think when I open my eyes every single morning for the rest of my life. And um, that's not true. And It's definitely like top five things. Yeah. But it's not like, it's not that, you know, it's not like I have cancer. Oh, boohoo. Sad, sad. It's like I have cancer. So I got to get my ass out of bed at 930 and take my meds because (laughs) it's getting late. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because for how panicky I am about it all the time, even though I'm now out of treatment, like I do wake up in the middle of the night and say, I, I can't believe that, you know, like yeah. multiple times. And I think about it so many times a day and it's just interesting the, the differences in that for between different people. And yeah, Hey, we get it. No matter what your brain does, we get it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Woo. Woo. <laughs> well, Steph, thank you so much for sharing all of that. It's quite a trip, man. Hey, my pleasure. No problem. It is quite a trip. And thank God you found the hospital in Seattle. They're like world class. My God. Could you imagine? Oh. Could you imagine if I was just like, woohoo, it's stage two. And then they got in there and were like, sorry, ma'am. Yeah. (laughs) You're like, I can't. I don't even know. I don't know. The moral of that story, actually, about that doctor is this, I actually, and like zero shade to anybody that did this, um, who's listening, because I get it 100%. I would have done the same thing. And in fact, have done the same thing about other kinds of providers. But after that happened, and I was like, oh my God, this doctor told me totally the wrong thing. I shared that with a couple of friends and they were like, what's the name of that doctor and I told them and they were like oh my god that was the same doctor that did the exact same thing to my aunt or whatever no way yeah and like that that's you know I do understand now a little bit better that so much of cancer is like guesswork sort of which is mind-blowing to me but a lot of it is just like we'll see what works and then 
you know, try something different or like, we'll wait and see until we actually get in there to the tissue Mm -hmm. and we can find out what's Mm -hmm. what. So like, I get it, but multiple people after that were like, "Mm, yeah, same thing happened to me. So that is so crazy. So moral of the story is tell people when, when they're like, "Mm, I'm going to see so-and-so if you had a bad experience, share, share it, share that shit because people don't need to go see doctors for that first appointment and find out on their own. Like who cares? He's not hurting for money. I wonder the proximity to Seattle for that particular clinic. I wonder if they see less breast cancer patients because they're all, Oh, no doubt. Like an hour from Seattle. So of course that's why the retention conversation of you getting a second opinion was like, Oh, we're getting another one lost. Well, yeah. And you know, I, that's something I really want to talk about. Mm -hmm. I know I sent you a website where they talk about the disparities in cancer care. And I cannot help but think about the people who don't have the privilege of driving to Seattle Mm -hmm. from this small town that I live in and how they don't have anybody to advocate for them the way that I had to advocate for myself. And they end up, I'm sure a lot of them with care that's fine, but a lot of them don't. And those disparities are really unfair. Mm -hmm. Yeah. God, it's a lot to wrap your head around, man. It sure is. But yeah, we will... I feel like we should probably tell people you can send letters to um, cancerforbreakfast at gmail.com or to the Instagram at cancerforbreakfast. Yeah, you can Um, comment on posts too. Like you don't have to DM us. Yeah, you can whatever you want as long as you're cool with us reading it. Let us know if you want to be anonymous or you want us to give you a shout out. Either way is great. And, you know, it doesn't have to be funny stuff it doesn't have to be sad stuff it doesn't have to be it could just be what's going on like what yeah what's just say hi just say hi my friend was just telling me how she bought a travel trailer Ooh, which is so cool or i mean is it a camper like the the kinds you can like drive and a, a, a recreational vehicle she just yeah she drove it out with her partner to some beautiful woodsy place so far away from the rest of the world to like have some respite yeah i think it's so cool that she bought that camper i think that's a that's a solid move yes i highly highly recommend an rv my mom bought an rv she like she sold her house and moved in with her boyfriend then he's now her husband but she used the money from her the sale of her house to buy an rv and wait a she minute lets us use it are we just being menopausal women now talking yeah. about buying rvs this is more of our menopause stuff it is i'm gonna wear a turtleneck next time i go in the <laughs> rv i feel like the menopausal thing would be drinking v8 well I tell you, a little V8 in a Tecate isn't going to kill anyone. Have you ever done that? I have not. But I told you this. I cannot apparently drink alcohol anymore because I tried and it gave me face hives. So, bummer. Sad. Sorry. Sorry. That's all right. I have benzos. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, geez. Well, listen, I think... And on that note... (laughs) I think I'm going to go take a benzo myself and sign out here. Hey, enjoy. Enjoy. 
Thanks for listening to Cancer for Breakfast. I'm Steph. And I'm Amy. See you next week. Goodbye. Bye. Cancer for Breakfast is hosted by Amy Diles and Stephanie Lejeunesse and produced by Nathan McGeehee. Our theme music is written and performed by Vivivir. Find us at cancerforbreakfast.com, Instagram at cancerforbreakfast, and email at cancerforbreakfast at gmail.com. so much for listening. Thanks for listening.